and welcome to Game Breaking Feature, the podcast where we analyze and discuss common elements of modern video game design and development. My name is Stephen Bennett, and in this week's episode, we're going to be talking about game balance. Is it possible to achieve true balance, or like my dreams of being a rock and roll ninja astronaut, is it forever out of reach? To help me discuss this topic is a man who's needed a nerf since episode one, my good friend Jared Bruner. Jared, how you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. And you know, people have been saying good. that about me since the beginning, but... You know, don't blame me because I know how to min-max my character, okay? If anything, <laughs> I'm just playing the game the way that the developers wanted me to play it. Yeah, don't hate, don't hate the player, hate the game. How have you been? Doing well, man. Doing really well. Um, episode 10, we made it. We did. It is episode 10. Yeah, and we, we, haven't been, uh, we haven't been shut down by the government yet. That we know of. I mean... Yeah, they could be, uh, they could be monitoring our podcast as we speak. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why we don't have listeners. <laughs> oh my gosh well we've got we do we've we, we may not have many listeners but we have the best listeners in the world thank you for thank you for joining us quality over quantity that's what i always say yeah. yep and uh and i'm excited today man because we have a uh, a pretty dense topic to talk about but we have a great guest to help us discuss it uh, you know him as the commentator for NetherRealm Studios Fighting Games and host of Stream Me's War of the Gods. Don your aviator glasses and prepare for the Trident Rush because this week we're joined by Ryan Kablik, also known as Mr. Aquaman. Ryan, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for joining us. How you doing? Doing good. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about this week's topic and to see what you guys are all about. I got to listen to one previous episode, uh, so I'm a little excited. And you know what? As someone who talks a lot, it's it never hurts to talk even further. No, I said you're. Uh, I introduced you as a commentator for the Nether Realms Studios fighting games, but uh, used to you actually used to be a, a a competitor yourself. How did you get into that? Yeah, I, I started. I started from kind of entry level esports, going up the, the the ladder, as it were. And I'll, I'll I'll expand on that. I started my very first fighting game and my very first tournament ever. It was it was it was it was kind of weird. Um, so so go. Getting in esports, it was with my local GameStop. Actually, that was my very first experience and my first fighting game ever. It was because a a, a buddy of mine we were drunk at a bar, and he goes, "Listen, listen, man, you gotta play Street Fighter, okay? You just gotta play Street." And I went, "Okay, man, I'll try it. I'll try it." I absolutely hated it because it was so hard, and I was like, "Why are these so hard?" And and the the more I played it, the more I realized that because it was so hard and because it took so much skill. That I started to really like it, and and you know that's like most most video games. They're a challenge, you know. That's that's kind of like the thrill, is that they're really hard to play, and uh, and it takes a lot of skill in order to beat your opponent. And my opponent uh, was was my best friend, and so it was just a weekly thing where we just try to keep beating each other. And then we went to our local GameStop, and they said, "Hey, hey, we're doing a little regional tournament for it," and uh, signed up for that. Uh, ended up winning the just the the one in my area. Got sent to the regional one. Got second. And I was like, this is really cool. But it, it was Street Fighter. I wasn't really too big in the whole Street Fighter thing until uh, the latest Mortal Kombat had dropped. Mortal Kombat 9. Uh, that was a great this one. Was what, that was an amazing Yeah, game. this was like six years ago? I think it was 20, 2011? Did it, I, uh, did it predate yeah, Injustice I, I, 1? Was that before yes. Injustice 1? Yeah. Yes. That was a, yeah, that was an amazing I, game. That was when they like relaunched that series and it was Yes, it did. It was beautiful. It, 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 it kind of redefined Mortal Kombat coming from coming from 3D back into the 2D realm, and and it, it was meant to bring it back in, into the competitive uh, s- spirit of Mortal Kombat. You know, back in the Mortal Kombat 2, uh, Mortal Kombat 3 days, where it was arcades and just going at it. 
Whereas the 3D fighters were more play at home and have, have some fun and everyone had an infinite. So that, that was a lot of fun. And, and, we'll, and, we'll, and I'll bring that up in balance later where it's hard to have a have balance when four characters have infinites and all that fun stuff. But <laughs> anyways. See, my, my family and teachers warned me about uh, Street Fighter. as a It's a gateway fighting game. <laughs> yeah, never get into it. Because <laughs> once you start with Street Fighter, like, oh my God, it's, it's going to open up a whole different world to you. It, it does. And, and I... It, I just got a taste of it when we did when we did that GameStop thing, and it wasn't until Mortal Kombat dropped, and I kept playing it online forever. I mean, hours and hours and hours. Get home. They hooked you. Yeah, yeah. It hooked me. Get home. That's all you do. And playing playing with so many people online that I eventually found a, a website where uh, competitors went. It was it was called uh, testyourmic.com. and I made an account and started talking about like like the characters I I played with. There were there were sub forums for them, and started talking to other people and ran into this guy. That was from Virginia, which is which is where I was at the time, and said that that he held um, get-togethers at his house for this game, and I was like, "What? I'm going!" And so I went there, and from it was it was that day where I got introduced to like the competitiveness of it, because he absolutely destroyed me for like eight hours straight, and I was like, "Wow, turns out I'm not good," and <laughs> and he told me about. All of these top players, the competitive scene, these tournaments, invited me to, the, to this tournament he was going to shortly. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm down. First one I went to and traveled to, it was just a eye-opening experience. Seeing these professionals show up, everyone looks like a badass. They walk in with a fight stick. I'm like, what the heck is a fight stick? It doesn't make him better than me. <laughs> and It's like someone bringing their own pool cue to yeah. the billiards. Yeah, oh, yeah. And yeah, if they walk in with their own cue, you're like, damn, they must be pretty good. Shit. Like, like, whoa. Pulled out Black. the backpack, started screwing yep. pieces together, putting their custom buttons on it. Yep. But but looking back now, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're good. But at, at first, I was like, whoa, these guys mean business. And so, yeah, from there, went to my first tournament, went to tournaments subsequently for, for years and years and years. and uh, But yeah, it wasn't until the very first Mortal Kombat where I really took things serious. And that's that was about six years ago. And I've actually been one of probably the one percenters of, of esports that have turned into a, a career very cool now how did you make the switch from playing professionally to commentating i i was a competitor for a few years i i, I, did, I did okay um especially getting into the injustice one uh and then uh the very beginning of mortal kombat x the the, the next version of mortal kombat is, uh, is, is when I, I was i was i was pretty decent I'd get like top 16s at, at tournaments, uh, one or two top eights around the country, and I was okay. I was just below like the upper echelon of, of players, and every time I'd go to a tournament, the further I'd get into what was going on behind the scenes, I was getting real close with the guys running the tournaments, and the, the more, more importantly at that time was was the streamers, uh, get, becoming good friends with the streamers. They'd always be looking for guys to commentate. I'd hop on when I could. I really enjoyed it. And uh, running tournaments, uh, something that I kind of started to get a feel for. And a few years back, got the opportunity. Uh, two years in a row, I ran my own large tournament, uh, which which I'm, I'm not sure that, that that you know that. No, and which um, one was, was that? Yep, it was called TCW, the Commonwealth. Um, hmm. It was it was very very big for two years straight. Got Netherrealms uh, support in in year two. Um, nice pop bonus. Very cool. And, and yeah, so I actually went from competitor to kind of casual caster to um, organizing a tournament, which 
that's a whole nother discussion for topic is that it takes, it was about eight months of working two jobs because I'd, I'd, I'd work my, my retail job and then I'd have to work on that. And it was a lot more work than I thought it was. And I don't, I don't wish that headache on anybody. I'm not going to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> After my second event, it was weird. It was so weird how it, it was timed. But the night of my second event, um, during the huge finale when um, Mortal Kombat was finishing out during top eight. And I, I got a message from the guys over at Streamy about uh, doing some stuff for Mortal Kombat for them uh, because they, they actually knew that I had casted previously. Uh, and um, I, was, I, was, I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk. Got to talking. Um, things, uh, things worked out. Uh, bounced back and forth with them about a, a putting together a Mortal Kombat series and uh, so War of the Gods is kind of like our, that's, that's, it looks so good because of the work that we put in Mortal Kombat. There was a lot of testing going on yeah, um, product, yeah. pr- production wise. And like when that first started, I was streaming it from a laptop, um, doing, doing, doing all the streaming and the casting like all at once. And, and now we have a team put together and it's doing amazing things. And so yeah, um, yeah, that work that work really shows. Because I was Combat Cup the first of the the things that you had done with Streamy. Yes. So okay. So yeah. my my uh, involvement with fighting games. I mean, I I don't really play fighting games. I'm terrible at them. Um, but there was like this moment. They're hard, man. They are, yeah. And there was this moment where I was like, you know what? I think I want to be one of those guys that follows a fighting game. And I couldn't really, I couldn't get into Street Fighter. I think it's 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 a very like technical game to watch um but there's something about like the mortal Kombat games and the uh the injustice games it's just it's just like so immediately accessible because of the the style they've chosen and um and the characters and all and all of that stuff 100 percent, mortal Kombat, especially like just the not only the lore but graphically and just everything it makes it such a this brings this hype level that no other game seems to have in my opinion where it's just so um, viewer friendly yeah. in that it can it can really keep you entertained. So when I jump when I jumped into like watching one, I was like, you know, all right, I, Mortal Kombat's going to be the game that I sort of get into watching and and learn about. And it was through Combat Cup, and it, it was the first season, so I must have caught you guys like right when you were starting that up. Yeah, so way that, back. That timing, yep. that timing just like worked out. Yeah, I'm going to be completely honest. I am even worse than Steve at fighting games and I don't know anything about them. So I'm just going to be the one asking questions <laughs> here. And uh, hopefully I don't, I mean, I know less, <laughs> even more, even less than I do about normal topics that we go over on this podcast. Uh, so I will be the one uh, asking a lot of questions. So forgive my ignorance. Uh, oh, please. Some yeah. of these questions. Yeah, pick, absolutely. I mean, it's just pick uh, my brain and a world then, that I had gotten into. I'll, I will gladly let you know if, 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 if even I don't know something because there's, it's, when I try to explain everything to people, they're just like, what? And, and like, there's a lot of stuff about fighting games. That, and, and this is in general, it's like that, you know, you can kind of apply to all fighting games that it's, it, it really does take so much work and so much. It's almost like you have to, you know, train and uh, it's, it's almost a full-time job to be like a, a pro, which it, that's what it's turning into here in esports. Yeah, it's almost a full-time job just to follow the professional scene. I was telling yes, there was so <laughs> I, you know I, I thought like as a as someone who's familiar with video games I would be able to step in and understand pretty easily what's going on but then it's like you, you watch your first stream and it's like it's it's uh down twos and njps and meaty setups and full sticks of butter and I'm like dude I don't understand any of this so <laughs> there's like this really <laughs> steep learning curve I mean once you once you watch a few streams you kind of 
pick it all up, but there's a whole other language involved with watching fighting games that I was I was not expecting. I have an embarrassing amount of hours in Dota 2, and I even trying to explain that game is is difficult when you kind of know what's going on. And then you watch it on a professional level and you're like, man, I didn't even know like any of these strategies existed yep. or any of this meta was a thing until you actually start following that and you're just like, holy crap. And then you try to explain that to someone who doesn't know what a MOBA is and you got to explain like, well, yeah, there's lanes and then this is Dota, so they have a courier. And it's just like nonsense. Like You none sound, of like, you sound like a crazy person trying to explain what anything is. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> I like, try to get my wife into it around the international and I'm like, oh yeah, so what they just did here. I'm like, man, I just meant to sound like a crazy person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I've been there. Well, before we before we jump into the, into the meat of our discussion about balance, I just want to say that the... The work that you've been putting in over at uh, Combat Cup and then into War of the Gods has uh, has really paid off because I, I, without even knowing it, I've been following the the progress of that series and it it looks great right now, man. It's it's a it's awesome to watch and I would definitely recommend any any of our listeners who haven't checked out a fighting game go check out the vods or try to catch something live because you guys the hard work you guys are doing over there it, it really shows it makes it easy and fun to watch. Oh, we, we definitely appreciate it, man. And, and we put on, um, arguably, and I, I'm not going to toot my own horn, but I'm going I'm to toot my, my team's horn, is that we, we put on a really great show for how small of a team that we have. And I, I think what sets us apart from everyone is how laid back we are with our presentation. Like, I'm really loose on casting, uh, so, so is my partner. And anyone we bring on, they know that they can just kind of be themselves. And, and we our, our number one goal is to have a good time. Because if we're having a good time, chances are you're going to have a good time. There's one more thing I meant to ask you, and I didn't write it down here. But who who chooses, like, announcers at some of the bigger events, like Evo? Like, I know uh, Katana Prime was one of the casters there. But, you know, how how would someone like yourself get into doing that? Is that, like, the big show I, for, for casters? Yes, it is. I would have had to have uh, done a submission form for it. And uh, I'm just I, I I was too busy at the time and completely forgot. Even though I went, uh, but it's something that after I went to the event and I, I look back and looking at future events, I'm, I'm probably gonna aim to do more because everyone asks me uh, to to cast those kind of events. And I actually was asked by the guys that are running the Injustice Pro series, the the really big offline series that they've got going on. I was asked to do one this weekend, but I'm on vacation, so I had to I had to turn that one down. So sometimes it's just, that's just the way she goes. Yeah. Well, oh, and one one last question: what's your uh, what's your favorite character in Injustice Two? I think I have a I have a sneaking suspicion I know who it is. But oh, who's your favorite? Okay, so I I don't know if I have hmm. Injustice Two is an odd one for me because I haven't really got into it incredibly hard playing wise, um, and people that know me know my history, and it, and and, and it's, it's going to blow your mind is that I've actually never liked Aquaman in Injustice. What? <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> You guys, you guys, you guys are gonna find out some dirt about me right now. Uh-oh. Is Injustice One came out right? Mm-hmm. Brand new game. It, it was the hotness, and the very first major tournament for it happened to me in my backyard. It, it was in Virginia. It was four days after release. I go, I get fourth place using Ares, and not Aquaman. And it was all that the casters and the cha- <laughs> and the chat was talking about. Um, I got blown up for it. Yeah, one of the one of the one of the one of the casters actually got up and like was like, "Your name is Aquaman. You're not even playing the character." <laughs> and I was known as as the best Ares player uh, on the planet throughout the game's lifespan. It's that long time. Uh, yeah, and my name was Aquaman, and uh, and my name is Aquaman because he happens to be my favorite 
superhero. I just didn't like the way that he was in the game. I, I have I have to admit I'm shocked, especially after yep. watching you Trident rush your glasses off at uh, what was that yes. CEO? CEO, that was a that was a really good. The the crowd was so like dead on my side. The other half of the crowd was really lively, but my half, I was like, man, something's got to give. I'm right in front of the camera, and I had a lot more fun uh, throughout the broadcast. Every time the camera got on me, yeah. <laughs> but 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 yeah. So he happens to be my favorite superhero, but in the game, I just I don't I don't like him. But no no matter what, my favorite character in Justice Two is going to be Black Manta as long as that silhouette remains true. Mm, yeah, that'll be cool. You know who my favorite character is in Injustice 2? Okay. I have I have now talked to you for a grand total of, what, 20 minutes now? Yeah. I'm going to try to guess it. All right. Let's see if you got it. All right. I'm going to go I'm gonna go far right. I'm going to say, I'm say uh, Robin. No, I, this is actually going to be a uh, far less interesting of an answer than, than even that. My favorite, my favorite character in Injustice 2 is Steve. <laughs> 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 Do you know... Are you familiar with the name? Okay, hold on. Do you on. know who Steve is? They captured my personality perfectly in this character in Injustice 2. No. Steve is the drunk guy sitting at the bar that occasionally gets thrown. <laughs> <laughs> he has he has the orange vest on, right? <laughs> is this yeah, like he, an NPC in the background? Yeah, he's a, yep. he's a background NPC yep. that, you, that characters can use as an interactable. And I just the other day heard some of... I think it might have been KP refer to him as Steve. And I was like, they they put me in this game. <laughs> just, like, just the guy that's like so drunk real. he doesn't realize he's about to get thrown at Superman. <laughs> NRS does a really good job of doing that too. You you could throw a poor monk in Mortal Kombat that was just praying at the top of a temple. You can just throw him and knock him out, and it's like he was just praying and he was just come on, man. Well, there was and, that, and, and, and there was that woman. You can in throw Mortal the Kombat. granny. Damage. Yep. There was that woman in Mortal uh, Kombat that had a name. What was her name? It, she she was an old lady, and we all called her Blanche. Yeah, Blanche. <laughs> and 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 she got her name because of uh, the Netherrealm Studios actually did a stream, and one of the guys on there just called her Blanche, and that's just what she was known as throughout the game's <laughs> lifespan. But, and 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 it was a secret brutality that you could actually hit someone with her, and then she kills you. She punches your face into death. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> YouTube that everyone watching well, and have a great time. I, I'm gonna do that as soon as we're done with this podcast. <laughs> because Granny Blanche does not play around. Apparently not. <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump into I guess the the meat of our discussion today. We're talking about balance. And uh, Jared, did you want to lay a little history on us? Yeah. Like always, some of our topics aren't a hard history of where they begin, but we brought up uh, Space War back in episode three, which came out in 1962. Uh, we were talking about it in the context of realism and graphics, and it was made by Steve Russell at Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and it was basically two ships orbiting a star and shooting each other down. Uh, but I guess on the actual cabinet for the thing, there were four switches, which were the controllers, but because of the geometry of this of this computer, uh, some people, if you were playing at a certain position, you would have to stand off to the side and look at it from an angle. So you got kind of screwed if you were that guy playing player three or player two or whatever it was and it was actually uh, it was it was eight switches on the front of the dec pdp one which was the computer that it was originally made for so each each player had four switches that they were in control of gotcha, which, gotcha. which did things like turned your ship uh sorry turned your ship and adjusted thrust and fired your rocket and all of that was yeah. just located sort of on the front of the screen so you get kind of like a disadvantage if you're like having to play the little brother controller on yeah. that one uh so you know people got into it and um they ended up making 
Alan Kotak and Bob Saunders designed game pads, which were separate from the from the computer, and you were able to you know step back and everyone could kind of get in front of it. So I, th- I think that was pretty cool. The game pads also had a silent button, so that when you fired a rocket, your opponent couldn't tell that you were attacking. I'm not exactly sure the full gameplay of this, but like why that was important. Do you know? Well, yeah. So that was important because there was a cooldown between when you could fire rockets at your opponent. So people would mash the fire button. It just like you know when they when they thought their cooldown was up and they would hit the fire button prematurely. Mm. So you were sort of telegraphing to your opponent that you were about to fire a a rocket. So they added the sort of silent button feature to those controls to, uh, I guess, eliminate that little bit of an advantage that the opponent has. Because also in that game, I believe there was the ability to just like teleport around. Like there, were, you had a button that let you just teleport somewhere random. So if you heard someone trying to fire a rocket, you could teleport and avoid their shot. I wonder if um, this is like the first like example of meta, meta gaming. Yeah, or like the first example of sort of like pseudo screen surfing. And you know, hear, hearing this, this is the first time I've heard about this game at all. That still exists today, even in even on the biggest stage of, of competition. You'll you'll see at at like Evo and Street Fighter, those kind of mind games still exist with those old school arcade sticks, where someone could be mashing a button, just trying to play that mind game with their opponent. Of of uh, did they actually press that button? Does <laughs> a better button that that exists? That's a real thing. It's still to this day. That's funny. And I think if you look at this story, it's kind of uh, it's interesting because today we think about balance as being sort of a software side thing where if, if a character or a gun or something isn't balanced, it gets fixed in a patch. But here we have an example, you know, a really early example where to essentially balance this game, it was a hardware implementation that corrected the issue. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, you know, your little brother starts getting better at you playing Nintendo, so you end up making him use the, the Mad Cat's turbo controller that was a piece of shit. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Same thing. Now... Rest in peace, Mad Cat's, by the way. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. They didn't. They made some really good fight sticks, didn't they? I thought uh, people... Yeah. Like, Mad Cat's was kind of making it in sort of a resurgence of actually making some good hardware before they kind of went under. Yeah, that was their big one, was that they, they owned one of the best fight sticks um, on the market, which was the tournament edition. Yeah, that's too bad. But, yep, no longer. <laughs> So for this discussion, I think our definition of balance is going to be really important. I think this is going to be really hard for us to do. To, well, to Webster's come up Dictionary with a... defines balance. No, oh, God, no. Get out of here with that Sorry. shit. <laughs> oh, even weight on a scale. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I guess, Ryan, I'll, I'll throw it to you, but can you sort of come up with, a, I guess, maybe some sort of brief definition for how you define balance? Absolutely. Give me about 30 minutes yeah. and about a, a, a case of Coke. <laughs> so how, how I define balance, every, everyone's going to be pretty different about it. Uh, how I define balance is um, in, in video games. We're, we're applying this to video games, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, just in video games. Is bottom to top, everyone has, or everyone or everything has an equal chance or close to equal chance at performing well or, or, or winning. So if, if it comes to characters, as long as the bottom... Uh, considered the worst characters in the game have a decent chance at winning or beating, you know, the upper characters in the chance or upper characters in the game. Uh, I, I think that's pretty balanced. But the, the way that um, even Netherrealm has 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 talked about balance is um, if you lay out characters bottom to top, and you take your hands, you put your hand at the top, and you put your hand at the bottom, and you kind of smush it towards the center. That's what you want as far as balance is. You want you want 
you know, if there's any sway and balance, you just want to kind of bring it as not to the middle, but as close to the middle as possible so that everyone has a fighting chance. And and that's what balance is because, you know, with the, with the diversity of characters, no one's going to get characters that are just all going to be the same because then everyone's the same character. There's always going to be characters that are better. There's always going to be characters that are worse. But as long as they have a fighting chance, that's pretty balanced. And, and, and that's character-wise. But weapons-wise weapons, weapons wise and uh, getting into other kind of games, it, it becomes even crazier. I mean, MOBAs, God bless them. They have 1,400,000 000- moves that they have to balance and the maps and it's crazy but but as long as all these characters have have you know a fighting chance i i think it's pretty balanced i think this is i think this is excruciatingly difficult to define it is because i (laughs) ever since we sort of figured out that this was what we were going to talk about and i i started putting our show notes together i've been thinking about this and i've been reading about it and watching videos about it and i don't know that even i sort of have a good definition for for what true balance is, because I think a lot of people define it differently. Yeah, you know, I think the way that I would kind of describe balance, at least in my mind, is like at a macro level that all strategies have an equal chance of winning. Yeah, like they're valid strategies. They're yeah. So possible. like all all yeah. weapon all weapons have have an equal chance of success and whatever the goal of the game is. But at the micro level, I don't think that that's I don't think that that's possible or even really desired. One of the uh, one of the things I found when I was doing research for this topic was a video from GDC uh, back in 2011, and it was this guy Jamie Griesmer. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but uh, he was the guy who balanced the weapons for Halo One through Three, and uh, in this. Uh, presentation that he gives at GDC, he's talking about specifically balancing the sniper rifle, changing the shot speed from 0.5 seconds to 0.7 seconds. But one of the things he said in in his talk that I thought was kind of interesting is, is he said, every fight in Halo is unfair. And what I took that to mean is that even in a quote unquote balanced system, that someone has to win. There has to be a victor yep. in, in every situation. And does that necessarily mean that you know, something is balanced or imbalanced, you know, like a, a sniper rifle, really good at killing someone from a long distance. And if you got a sniper rifle and someone has a shotgun, who's going to win that situation? And it, you know, and then that becomes a question of like, well, what is the situation up close, far away? Uh, what kind of mobility do characters have? So there's a lot of things to take into account when considering balance. But I think moment to moment balance is maybe not necessarily as important as it is at the outset of whatever, whatever game it is that you're playing. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of struggling to come up with a definition myself. Uh, how about you, Jared? Can you help me out any here? Well, I think it's important, and what most developers aim for, is giving you the tools to accomplish the same goal in different ways, depending on your play style. And then you should be able to do that using everything that the game has provided you with, using the rules that have been set out by the design of the game. And then where that inequality comes from, especially if we're talking multiplayer games is putting yourself in the right situation at the right time to use the tool that they've given you in that particular situation. So it's like being able to analyze what's happening, you know, getting the right feedback from the game that tells you that this is where you should be at this time. I think that is where, what what was the quote? Every fight is unfair. Yeah. Every fight is unfair. And 
again, I think that's open to sort of some interpretation, but the way I heard that was that, you know, in, in every fight, someone is going to have an advantage. Someone is going to win that fight. And whether that advantage is the weapon they're holding or their position in the world or the skill that they personally bring to that game, something about that fight is unfair because someone is going to win it. Right. So like a good balance, it would be given any situation, there is a way out of it or a way to win that confrontation. Uh, you just have to be as a player, the one to be able to analyze it. Does that make sense? I, don't know. It, I mean, it, yes, it makes sense. I'm just like, like I said, ever since we started talking about this topic, I've, I've really been trying to like wrap my head around even my own opinions on the, on the subject. And, uh, I don't know that there is a good, you know, there is a good answer. I think it might even be sort of a little different from person to person what they consider. Well, balance. I mean, we talked about it with Mary Kish last episode where people were complaining about Overwatch being like, oh, like, this is unfair. Like, how do I, I always end up on bad teams. It's like, no, you're not a bad team. You're just a bad player. If, if, you, if you are the common denominator there, it's because you aren't good. And figure out where you're making mistakes. Figure out how you could improve it. And it's not the game's fault that you lost. It's it's because you were in a situation that you shouldn't have been in in the first place. So I think, you know, obviously there are very hard examples of games being unbalanced or characters being unbalanced. But I think as far as our discussion goes, that's sort of what we're aiming for when we're talking about well-balanced games. Yeah. Now let's talk a little bit about the idea of the meta. Because I think that this plays a part in the notion of balance as well. Um, so Ryan, when you think about the meta, what do you, what do you think of meta is there's, there could be a couple of definitions of this as well, but it's kind of like the way that the game is meant to be played. Yeah. Right. And it's like, it's, and, it's sort of like and, some agreed upon. Yep. Exactly. Strategy. And, and, and stra- yep. I was about to say strategies and all these things that are kind of the most common in the game is, is also a good way to say it is that, is that things that appear the most and that are, like you said, agreed upon. Um, as effective or if not the thing to do now in injustice or i guess in fighting games in general is there a clear meta that evolves out of those uh there's there's so many there's um just things in the game just have have developed uh, over the years you know to to do something in a certain situation um that's 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 really all the meta is in fighting games is and it's it's also character to character. So every character has their own meta, which is crazy. But you know, overall, it's 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 the game system that creates the meta. Um, and, and in injustice, it's push block all little mechanics, push block, um, unwa- unwagerable situations, interactables, things like that, where they really determine what you can do in certain situations. And depending on the life, it's the thing to do. Now, you know, when I watch in- Injustice too, I see a lot of the same characters come up. And Injustice 2 is a game that has a really healthy selection of characters to choose from. Yes, it does. And I think it's interesting in that game that I don't see a lot of, like, let's say, like Black Canary players or Swamp Thing players or, uh, let's see, like, like Grodd. I don't see too many people at the higher levels playing those characters. I don't really see too many people playing, like, Captain Cold. Yep. Um, does that mean that that those characters are imbalanced, like they are worse characters because a meta hasn't developed around them, or is the meta yet to be discovered for those? I was going to touch on this. Uh, if we brought up balancing, and I'm glad you did, is that time can be a developer's worst enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
something could be discovered a year after a game comes out that makes a character that's terrible ridiculous. Um, and, you know, it, it really takes leaving the game out there. And I'm glad that they did it with, with Injustice 2. Um, they didn't patch it too early. They let people play with it for as long as possible and try to discover things. And th- things are still being discovered every single day in Injustice 2. And, and this is every single game that's out there on the market, uh, especially something new that's only about a year old, is that things are going to be discovered, um, different strategies, things like that, and, and shooters and, um, you know, different maps here. But in Injustice... For instance, you brought up Captain Cold. Sonic, uh, the, and, and I, this is a bad example because he's the best player, I think, of all time in, in, in yeah. the genre, is uh, Sonic Fox just won a $20,000 major with, with Captain Cold. Yeah, and that was amazing to watch, too. Yeah, it, it, and he only got minor tweaks. I mean, it was just just uh, quality of life tweaks. And what, and like I said earlier, NetherRealm kind of, they, they took those top characters. They didn't over-nerf them. They just kind of bring, bring them down a little bit. And they brought down those low tier, low, considered low tier heroes up just a little bit, so that they're kind of towards the middle. And now, him with his character is looking completely, you know, relevant and um, balanced. Well, Captain Cold from doing nothing to now uh, really considered a, a a good character, but that that couldn't change as well because he's he's in the hands of probably the best player on the planet. So is it is it him making Captain Cold look good or is? Is, is is Captain Cold really good, or is is he he just using him the way he's supposed to be played? Like, there's so many different things that can go in there, but yeah, over time, these characters and these strategies they all can change with time. That someone can discover something here, discover something there, that could really skew a matchup. And you mentioned earlier, you, you get in these one-on-one fights where someone's going to have the advantage, no matter what. But it's up to the other player to really try to kind of work their way out of it. And if they find these little things that help them in just a microscopic little situations that can change the the match and they could overcome a bad matchup and just one little thing goes their way and uh, things can really change. So right now, I think that th- th- there is good balance, but over time, any- anything is possible. And that's with any developer. I, I feel bad for them because it has to be a, a pain because they nerf one thing or change one thing and then they get skewed for it I, I, and you guys brought up overwatch i see one overwatch change and 14 million people like cuss them out over it i'm like whoa <laughs> yeah. i'd hate to I'm be like, a community whoa. manager for those type of games yeah it I'm, just like, I'm, like I'm like i'm like they changed the damage from 45 to 40 on one little thing and they're like <laughs> literally <Yeah>. unplayable <laughs> yep unplayable like, I, I cannot win anymore and i'm like okay i don't know about that guy yeah <laughs> i mean but but yeah it's we talked about it's just very hard to to do that. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about Dota 2 a lot in this discussion just because it's the thing that I'm most familiar with. That's a game that has 112 unique heroes. Holy shit. I didn't realize it was that many. Yes. God, God bless. It's God insane. Damn. They just released, they just announced two more heroes at the international. Well, that's, a, that's just a drop in the bucket at this point. Yeah. But I like, I can't even begin to understand like, do they just have a giant fucking whiteboard somewhere where they're like, okay, so if we add this new hero or we change this ability, this is going to affect 50 other different things in the game. I have no idea how they begin to balance a game like that. It just looks like Charlie Kelly's like crazy room with all the strings oh, connecting yes. all yeah, the different I mean, pictures. And like, sure, some of the characters' like abilities overlap, but... Pepe Sylvia. Yes. And and in addition to that, you buy items in Dota, which affect, which could be active abilities, you know, like a blink dagger. It makes you, you're able to blink away and escape or blink in and and initiate. 
Um, but there's, I don't know, probably another hundred items in there that all do different things and give you different stats in some way. So there's, it's insane. There's no way that like, there's always a meta, but it changes basically daily. And you're talking about like, you see someone use when, when a tournament with Captain Cold after every international, you know, you see one hero get picked a lot and then all of a sudden you're playing Dota and that character is played like every game because people have been watching it professionally. You're like, no, you don't know how to play like liquid you don't know how to play that character like that so people try that and it's like it's the it's the players who practice and are really good uh and they just found something that resonates with them so um yeah in this in this discussion of balance like i you know and you add that into the fact that each it's a five on five game and it could be you know whatever combinations of that like there's just no way to test everything so i sometimes i just think like there's a lot of thought that goes into it, and other times they just like change a thing and just like pray that people don't blow up the yeah. message boards. <laughs> oh, like oh please my don't, god, please don't exploit our oversights. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and they change that game constantly too. Like the meta is constantly changing in Dota. A couple years ago, a Chinese team won, um, and people were kind of mad because their strategy was to gain an early game advantage and then just kind of like farm and play passively, and they won the whole tournament like that. Uh, so Valve went through and updated the game. So now, you know, there's a lot more action early game and stuff like that. So they're constantly changing it. There's new characters, new abilities. Well, that's why I think this, that's why um, I think this, like this discussion of meta is important because when we talk about balance, you know, I, earlier I posited that true balance might not be possible because I think this, the meta shifts so much like you know we see sonic fox whip out captain cold and win a big tournament and now a bunch of people are going to be reevaluating that character and maybe captain cold's just fucking broken you know maybe he's been broken from the outset and no one figured it out so this idea of hitting a perfect balance in a video game i think is is impossible because of that constant shift there's there's always something changing about the way that players are playing the game or they're discovering new things about characters that makes balance this unattainable thing. And sort of to your point about Dota, I think at some point you got to just sort of put something out there. You got to make a change or add a new character and just say, this is good for now. And if something gets, you know, really off kilter, we'll address it later. Here's kind of a weird question that might be a tangent, but do you think when a game is being designed it's on it's in the paper phase do you think a meta is also being designed or do you think the meta only exists because of the people playing the game who um i think that when you sit down and design a game and i this is from that video of uh from gdc 2011 um Jamie was for surely you're 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 accounting for balance in some way yeah yeah is that the same thing as accounting for the meta um yeah, I don't know, man. I I I'd have to say like yes, they're they're Schroding Schrodinger's meta. I think that's what they call it. What is it? Schrodinger's meta. Yeah. It only exists if you if you measure it or if you look at it. Otherwise it doesn't exist. I, I mean, it has to, it has to be in your mind, right? Like you have to say, you know, the rocket launcher is going to be a rare spawn in, you know, whatever in the case of in the case of Halo. So we're going to design for, you know, assault rifles to be pretty balanced and we're going to design for the rocket launcher to be this, you know, super destructive force. I think, you know, so I think in those cases, yeah, you are kind of trying to design a meta. 
Now, can you accurately predict what that's going to shake out like? I I don't think so. I don't think not one bit. I wonder if that's a problem with games like Evolve, where from the outset of that game, they started talking about it as an eSport, where it was like not even out yet. And they're like, yeah, we're going to treat this as an eSport. And all of their press events were like fake teams playing. I feel like maybe they tried really hard to come up with a meta around that game and design it like that. And it just didn't it didn't work. Yeah, I don't. That is a, I don't that, know. Is a that is a great example of that. I actually followed that for a little bit. I I, I know because uh, I I looked on my Twitter feed and I saw that a, a bunch of my buddies that are fighting game players were an evolve team at an event, and I was like, what? And never heard of that again. Yeah, it's kind of, <laughs> un, it's kind of unfortunate. I feel like we shit on evolve yeah, like every episode now. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I mean, not really. It's just it's it's an example of a game that had a lot of ideas and then it just it didn't work out, you know. So there's like I think a lot of things to learn from it. It sort of came out right around where esports is more of a marketing term than it is, you know, an actual thing. So like they didn't people didn't know what to do with it. They're like, we can make this an esport. It's like you got to kind of let a game turn into that. You got to kind of let people run into that naturally. Now, do so you maybe, think do you think it didn't hit? because it came out in sort of an imbalanced state is that what you're suggesting could be I, I didn't play enough of it to know like what the exact problems with it were other than you know i just didn't think it was a fun game when after a few matches i just didn't enjoy it so i dropped off hmm. uh, but trying to force that competitive nature down everyone's throats certainly i don't think helped yeah i, I agree most most games i've seen develop as an esport they really just put it out as a game and then the the, the scene creates itself um, you know, the follower base, the competitive base, um, it has to build. It's, it, it's, it's, I haven't seen a game really come out and just come out as esports and do really well, um, right out of the gate. Yeah. It's, you think Nintendo like, envisions people bringing in their own controllers to Vegas to play Smash Brothers when they release that? Like, probably. I'm, <laughs> Nintendo hates it. I, 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 well, I don't know about now, but I know back in the day, Nintendo hated it. Yeah. They, they, I mean, and even touching on that, the, the the spinoffs spinoffs of Smash where where guys are playing their own they balanced it themselves and they and which is called Project M uh, a b- bunch of competitors created their own version of it and balanced it themselves and Nintendo bans it there and they they didn't um, envision uh, especially the older versions of Smash being competitive but look at here we are and it's one of the it's probably the most popular fighting game out there uh, I know Street Fighter gets pushed down our throats because they have the advertising but but Smash pulls in a ridiculous amount of numbers nationwide and around the world. And it's just, I, I, I don't think that Nintendo likes it that much. Now, when we're talking about balance, you know, what are, what are some of the positive aspects of, of achieving balance in a game? Jared, when you think about balance, like why, why is that a positive thing for gaming in your mind? This is one of the reasons I don't like CCGs. I know that you played magic a lot and other similar games, but mm-hmm. there's always like, here's how to build your deck. This is the deck that you have to have right now. So if there's like one way to play the game and everybody's doing it, especially a multiplayer game or, you know, a CCG like that, to me that just like, what about the rest of the game? There's other parts of this game now that I just don't have access to if I want to be competitive. So yeah, I think good balance is important so that you can use all the tools that they spent time making and also be successful. Yeah. I think that's actually a really good, really good way to define the the pros of this topic because that that covers a lot of things. Which is, I think the meta can feel stale sometimes. 
So sometimes a balance change can just be made to try to shift that up a little bit. In Overwatch for a long time, the meta was, you know, three tanks, two healers, and one DPS. And then they make a few slight changes to the game, and and then you know that's that's no longer the most viable strategy. Which I, a lot of people were getting really tired of watching that. It's like, okay, here they go. They picked another Roadhog, and here's the Reinhardt, and here's the Zarya. Yeah, if you give me all these tools, but only one of them is really viable if I want to be competitive, like that's just not fun. Yeah, and you're just watching the same six characters in a cast of 25 get picked for every single game. So, you know, so so making little changes here and there, they changed it up. And now that there are sort of some newer metas that have have evolved in Overwatch, like the big one now is Dive Comp. Everyone runs like a Winston, a Zarya, or a D.Va. You know, so it's like two tanks, two DPS, two healers. But I think that's probably a little bit closer to the kinds of compositions that Blizzard was looking for when they designed that game. Sure, and like just I think the element of discovery is a big thing for me personally. I want to figure out a strategy. I want to learn. I don't want to go online and be like, oh, what's the new meta? Okay, well, I guess I will do this because otherwise I'm going to get my ass kicked all over at a certain rank or whatever, a certain level of play. Now, Ryan, do you think in in most competitive video games that there is like one universal best strategy that will rise to the top? It's it's, it's so different going from, going from game to game. There, there's no real strategy in fighting games that that could like um, that's out there. There's, there's 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 no formula to win. What uh, in fighting games like like but but there are in fighting games. You know you pick these couple characters and and you're you're going to give yourself the best chance at winning, no matter how bad you are. Now see, I watch. And I watch Injustice 2, and I wonder, at least for a while until this most recent patch, I wonder why, like, why doesn't everyone just play Black Adam? All you got to do is land, exactly. like, four hits, and the fight's over. And exactly. then people, and, and then, you know, he gets picked quite a bit, but not everyone picks him. So I thought that was, that's kind of interesting. Like, like clearly there's something about him that is driving a lot of people to him. I would say, at least from, you know, watching it at the uh, the highest levels, it seemed like, he was probably the most picked character for a while because of that damage output. But there's clearly something else about other characters like like Catwoman or, or Superman or Batman that caused people to pick those ones. And so I'm, I'm just curious why a majority of people sort of seem to see that he has these advantages, but other people ignore those advantages in place of other characters. There's a few reasons. There's personal preference, which which is all about, you know, as... I was mentioned earlier. It's, it's kind of not, not picking what everyone else picks, and you what you want to do what you want to do, uh, which which is my personal way to play. Like I, I, I go back to Injustice One. Ares was considered probably like bottom three. He was he was third, second, or even the worst character in the game, and uh, just found, found a way to make him work. I got I got lucky because uh, I tried it in Injustice Two with a character and got I, I've gotten blown out at competitions. Turns out it turns out I'm washed up, but that's besides the point. Uh, Black Adam was probably the the number one pick until this last balance change. And the reason why people didn't pick him up was either for a couple of reasons. They foresaw that he was going to get changed and nerfed. So they they figured, what, what, why pick him now? My counter argument to that is that there's a lot of money on the line. So you should have picked him. <laughs> and, um, and then there's, um, I guess I can bring this up with the question you asked me. Um, the last question you asked me is that matchup numbers. So they're direct. So I, I'm going back to when you asked me, is, is, is there an overall way to win in, in, in fighting games? And I, I, I guess there is one that I think about it. It's, it's, it's playing the, 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 the matchup numbers. So you go across a board, look at every single character, and how they do against every single other character. 
and they all have a number that's that's sort of determined by by the game being played and so your best bet is you you pick a character that does the best against the entire board and that is a that is a viable way to win and there are people out there and you'll hear them be called tier whores it's exactly what it is they're picking the best possible chance at winning at the character select screen uh, based on numbers. Dota has a uh, pick and ban phase, which is like a huge part of each match, especially yes. for spectators. Oh, like, what are they going to do? There's a, you know, okay, they pick this hero. What is the counter pick for that? Oh, they are they, they banned this hero early. Like, what do you think this is going to go? There's like this entire game that happens before the game uh, because based on uh, what heroes you see come up that they're going to play with. So I, I think stuff like that is super cool, super interesting. And sometimes you can win the game even before it starts that way. It is. And as a spectator, I don't know anything about Dota. I wish I did, but I, I have a hard time following it just because I don't have the time. But I, I want to. Dota is actually really interesting to me. And the, uh, the, the pick and ban phase, I, I've seen even in Smite. I've watched the competitive world uh, championships of Smite. I watch that every year. I love it. It's, I, I, I love that they pick or they, they'll ban a character because they're so good or because they know that someone on their team is ridiculous with them. Yeah, like we've been following and, and, Liquid and they've been playing yep. this, so let's ban them. And it's like, oh, we weren't going to yep. play them anyways. Psych. Yep, and I, I, I really like that mind game. And then um, it's, and, and there's doing homework there. And, you know, you, you come across a team that you've never played before. You do you do your homework and you think that this person is going to pick this person um, in this match and you, and you go for a ban. And then, and then there's the counter countermint of they, they knew that you were going to ban them. So they had this other strategy in place. And that's just a whole nother meta in and of itself, as you mentioned, before the match even starts. Now, are there any downsides to trying to achieve balance? Anything we can think of that's like, you know, I don't know, something something bad about them, uh, about a developer trying to find balance in their game? I think sometimes it, this could be true of a lot of game design elements, but too many cooks in the kitchen when you're listening to the community. Too many people say this one, this one character is overpowered. It's like, okay, well, maybe as a developer, it's not overpowered. You just haven't figured out a way to deal with it yet. Uh, and sometimes, you know, that can affect the course of things. Like some something gets nerfed too hard. It wasn't because that character was overpowered. It was just because people refused to change the way that they play the game to deal with it. Yeah, that's a great. And that's point. not always that's not always the case, but uh, I've I've seen it in the past, and uh, it could, it could be a big problem. And I don't know. I mean, trying to on a, on a competitive scene, you have to figure out the balance of the game. Otherwise, it's just never going to be fun. Now, Ryan, I'm glad that you're actually here because I don't. I don't really interact with too many professional scenes for games, but um, Injustice 2 just recently had a big balance patch hit, and it hit yes. some characters harder than others, characters like like Black Adam and uh, like Aquaman. And you can correct me if I'm wrong in any of this, because I'm just sort of talking about it from my limited experience of watching yep. it. But do any of those people who specialize in those characters ever really express resentment when those changes hit? Like when uh, whatever it is, Tentacle Strike no longer launches, or do, do oh, Aquaman sure. players like, go, "Fuck you, the... Nether Realm! You ruined my character, you <laughs> son of a bitch!" One hundred percent, and and it happens every single time. And then they just let go, and then they look for what is good next. Um, but very, pretty rarely do you see someone hang on to that character. It's 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 pretty rare when there's that much money on the line for someone to want to and i and i hate to say this because uh it may, may come off the wrong way but it makes them work harder when possibly picking something else might 
make them work a little bit less. You know, again, picking the picking the better character on paper uh, might lead might lead to better results. You know, in the hands of these top players, where skill is also very important. Have you ever seen anyone actually walk away from the game because of a, a character change? Ooh, I know I have. I just have to remember. Ooh, that was a lot of drinks ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. Ooh. I'm curious when I watch certain uh, like character es- experts play the game. Like now, I'm trying to think in Injustice Two. Anyone I can think of that's like a really big character specialist. But you know, like going back to like Mortal Kombat, if uh, like Kenshi got a big nerf to his whatever, like his EX overhead, would Tweety walk away from the game? I don't think so, but I know that there are people that have, and I like that. I just know that I've seen a couple people over the years, one change to their character, and they're like, "Okay, I'm out. I'm gonna I'm gonna go play uh, Call of Duty or something," hmm. because because that's the graveyard of. of I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we all, we, and, we, uh, we all know it's true, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yes, um, balance can make people uh, leave just because any any change, and, and this is for good or bad. Um, I, for instance, have played a character that received buffs and got better. And I was like, that dude, I suck with him now. And then I don't know how it happened, but the, the character got better and I got worse. Um, so any change to a character can, you know, make someone leave. Uh, but also going back to, you said, is there, is there anything bad that can come from game balance? And I think it's, if, if there's too much balance, you know, if it's like dead, even if it's dead, even you might lower the skill gap a little bit, which it might change the competitiveness of it in that, it could be easier for people to do well, you know, if the balance is dead even across the board. Um, but that's also game the game because the, the skill gap in, in every game, it, it varies. Um, and, and going to Dota 2, that might be one of the highest ones I've seen because I don't... If I pick it up and try to play it and give me about six months, I'm still not going to know anything. I'm going to suck. And whereas a fighting game after six months, you might be able to get a couple wins. Yeah, I, I've like I said, I have an embarrassing amount of hours in Dota 2, and I, I it barely felt like I knew what I was doing at 2,000 hour mark. I was like, I barely know how to play this game. So it's like I, I don't even know how I, where I got started anymore. It's <laughs> it's so dense. But going along with the cons of game balance as a as a concept. Something that I just thought of uh, when you were when you were talking about that is that when there's this when there's such a scene around it when there's so much money involved, I can see game developers being hesitant to change their game at all, and that could just lead to kind of stale, like you said, like a stale meta where the game doesn't change. It's kind of the same. You know what to expect, especially when you're watching and you know professionals play it, uh, and that could lead to developers just letting their game just sit there and it doesn't change. Whereas um, you, you would kind of hope that they would improve it after some time, you know? Cause yeah. Now, Jared, you and I, we've seen the sort of extreme of this happen in real time before. Uh, you and I, we used to play Super Monday Night Combat, which, oh, which uh, for people who aren't familiar with it, is a third-person over-the-shoulder MOBA, or I should say it was a third-person over-the-shoulder MOBA, um, which when it initially launched was honestly like one of the most exciting games I think I've ever played. It was, it, it was, it, you know, the times they had with it were good and bad, but it, it it's somewhere in my top 10 all time games. I loved that game. Yeah. It was so much fun, man. Just, I mean, it doesn't really pertain to our discussion necessarily, but I mean, the sense of humor that that game had, the aesthetic that it had. And I mean, for a while, the, the balance that it had were all, super tight i mean it was it was a well-crafted game from bottom to top uh but then that developer do you remember that developer's name jared 
Uber Entertainment. Okay, good. We can. They're still around can, and they're still making games, and I I am in an active boycott against them. Uh, yeah, straight up say it. We can we can uh, badmouth them personally now that we we've come up with the name. They I they failed to support that game. I think in important ways. One of the important ways was balancing the game. They were very slow to implement anything, and we watched in real time as the community dried up and abandoned that game which is one of the most heartbreaking things for me because I think if they had managed to to continue to support that game and listen to the community that that game could still be around I think that that game could truly be an esport uh, but they didn't I, you know one of the worst things that they ever did in that game was they they released uh, a character now you know it's been so long I'm not gonna be able, be able to remember his name but he was like a, a robot and he would uh, he'd place down a little boom box that would slow the enemy team when they were near it and for the most part he was uh, an okay character that filled a gap in that game's roster but he had an ability where he would unleash these little tiny uh, robots that looked like cassette tapes that would swarm enemy players and they were supposed to be destroyable like each of these little robots had a little health pool that you could shoot them and and get rid of them Uh, but when they launched that character they were like indestructible so these little robots would just run around and just fuck everyone's day up and people immediately got onto that yeah so then it was like every game you got into (laughs) it was like all right he's on the board and we got to spend the next like 30 minutes just shooting his little robots to try to kill him because it it just took so much to kill him and they launched him, obviously, not even imbalanced, but straight up broken. But then it took him forever to even like fix that. That it's not a surprise that that game eventually went away. And I think this I mean, is- even worse is it was a it was a free to play game with a rotating roster of free heroes every week, and then you could buy, you could unlock for real money, uh, you know, to play the hero anytime you wanted. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you wanted to play that character and use that overpowered ability. You could just pay money and have that, and that would put instantly put other people at disadvantage if they didn't chill out the fifteen dollars for that one character. Yeah. And that's you know that's the extreme of what we're talking about. Not every yeah. game you know has that issue, but it took them forever to to do anything with it. Yeah, to do anything about it. So, what are some ways that you guys have seen developers balance their games? Ryan, I'll start with you. What what's uh, what are some good methods you've seen implemented that uh, that are unique or creative or just really effective? What can you think of? I remember one huge change to, speaking of over-the-shoulder uh, third-person MOBA, uh, Paragon. Yeah. They come, uh, I, I played it in beta and then shortly after release, and then they compl- they changed the game from the ground up. It was crazy. To, um, there was some in the community, and the, the game was really slow. It was really hard. It was really slow to get into engage, engagements. It was, it was really farm-heavy, and then they made it so that um, it really rewarded uh, aggressiveness, and they they made they made everything shorter, and they just made the game from the ground up more more aggressive, heavy, and it was it was really cool to see that uh, from a developer that that was Epic Games. Uh, so so that was really cool, and that's that's about my only experience in mobas was I really liked Paragon for a long time, and seven at the time to keep up with it, um, and arguably and. You, this this is a good debate as well for for another time. Is that it, it's probably the most beautiful MOBA out there right now, and I'm willing to fight about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'll get an email from someone that you can meet up with to actually <laughs> actually fist fight about it. <laughs> is that is that that game? That game is gorgeous, and it's it's uh it's it's something I really enjoy. But yeah, it was it was a, and when I put out the patch notes, 
to that game change, it was like a, they put out a textbook. I was like, I've never seen that before. They put out a textbook of the game changing from the ground up because they, they this is what people had told them that they wanted to be more aggressive and uh, engaging. So that, that, that was really cool. That's that's probably the biggest one I've seen that that caught my eye uh, was that. And uh, just to, to touch on that, fighting games and MOBAs, uh, the, the, the the two big ones I know. Shooters, I'm very I'm just getting into. Um, MOBAs change, as as you guys mentioned earlier, they change a lot. And I mean, there's, there's I think a weekly update on on, on all the MOBAs. Um, and in fighting games, it's probably maybe once or twice a year. Uh, you'll see it, and it it varies from from developer. But but yeah, so that's that's about what I see the big difference of and changes in those two big. Uh, games and mobas and fighting games, but that that one from Epic really really caught my eye. Now, how about you, Jared? Are there any methods that developers use to balance games that you find effective? You know, I've been I've been trying to think of it since we started this this part. Um, I think good balance changes often can go unnoticed, and it's hard for me to like think of a specific. Yeah. When you do things instance. when you do things right, people won't be sure you've done anything at all. Exactly. It's like I, you just know the game is fun. So like something, someone's doing something right, um, and I, you know, you really noticed when things go bad. So my the most recent competitive game that I've been playing because I kind of fell off Dota after a while, uh, and it's changed so much since then that I would basically have to like go back and relearn that game because they they after they really uh, released the most recent full number patch, which was I think seven point uh, a lot of people would just consider that like Dota three, like it, it changed the game that much. Hmm. Um, but I've been playing, uh, or I was playing earlier this year, Rainbow Six Siege, which is a first-person uh, class-based team shooter. And there's a lot going on in it. There's a lot of meta around it. And, um, you know, so much shit as I talk about Ubisoft is they, they, they updated that game fairly frequently. Um, some some characters barely ever got played, so they, they were clearly listening to it and watching what people were doing. And, um, like, one of, one of them was, like, a sniper character and... That was his main role, was to kind of like sit back and, and overwatch things. But he wasn't very good. Like, he didn't have a whole lot of tools at his disposal. So they, like, gave his scope, like, a thermal vision. And that made him a little bit better because it was a lot easier for him to pick characters out from the background. And I thought that was a good solution. I don't know what the meta is anymore because it's been a few months since I played a game. But uh, I just, I, I really like it when you can tell that someone at the studio is looking at the game and trying to analyze how to fix things. And uh, it's a sign of a good developer when they are at least in an open discussion with the people who support them. Yeah. Now using statistics to balance a game is I I think one of probably the best ways to at least monitor the community and then have information when you go to making balance changes. It's not always like available to all developers because some of that statistical analysis stuff is based on, you know, how much you're able to monitor and also the the size of your community playing the game. Um, I think an interesting example of this that you're kind of hinting at with that stat analysis stuff, Jared, is um, in Overwatch, there was uh, the map Volskaya Industries. And I remember hearing the developer, uh, well, I say the developer, Blizzard, one of the biggest developers in the world, uh, talking about balancing that map and they were saying it, it was at a certain point it was as simple as just moving the spawn points back a couple of feet in the spawn area. So it just caused you to have to run back to the engagement. Um, it took you a little longer to get back to that point. 
and then just, they yeah, and then they go back and look at all like their that. they go back and look at all their data and they they see like okay when we make this small change you know suddenly there's a you know it changes the win rate for the attacking team by 2% or whatever it is and then they go okay now that's that's balanced now we're close to having a 50-50 split on this map by a change that that's that's that simple and they know that by looking at the data yeah i think hard data is is a is a real good indicator i uh, player unknowns battlegrounds i know is doing a lot of that data collecting on how people are playing the game and and trying to balance accordingly. One of the other methods you see implemented is this idea of like symmetry or scaling symmetry, which by scaling symmetry, I mean like in a um, game like Destiny, they have a bunch of different assault rifles in that game. Um, they've got some that fire quickly and some that fire slowly. And then based on like where it falls in that rate of fire, it adjusts the the damage for the bullets. So it's like if it's a fast rate of fire, the bullets do less damage. And if it's a slow rate of fire, they do more. Um, and they use that sort of method to to try to balance weapons in that game. Um, but this, the stuff I'm interested in, a little more interested in, in in video game balance is things like organic balance, things that make sense. Because it doesn't make sense when you have a like an assault rifle that fires really fast, but its bullets don't do as much damage like on a logical level, that doesn't make any sense. A bullet is a bullet. It should do the same amount of damage regardless of the gun it's being fired from. Um, but I appreciate more sort of like organic approaches to video game balance. Things like, I mean, it's not necessarily a, uh, it's not a competitive online game, but like in Dark Souls, when you're, you can equip the best armor in the game, but it weighs you down and makes your character slower. It makes sense logically, but also balances that armor out in the context of that world. You're not just like a walking tank with no, with no downside. They they apply a downside to it that makes sense for what's happening. Do you yeah. know? Can you think of any other examples in like competitive games that do that? I yeah, I just don't play a whole lot of competitive games right now, so I, I I'm, tr- I'm struggling to think of a concrete example. Ryan, is there anything like in the fighting game world that that sort of uses that organic method of of balancing that you can think of? This is kind of like. The, the method I prefer, I think, maybe the most when you're talking about um, methods of implementing balance, but it's difficult to, to think of examples. Yeah, so there's a couple things that I've seen uh, a character that was lacking damage before. They give them more damage with more downside. So something's going to do more damage, but it's going to be more punishable. Yeah, like a really Which big wind up on an attack or something, like a long animation. Yep, or they'll, or they'll, they'll increase the damage and slow it down, or they'll uh, make something faster, but more negative as well. So it, it, I have seen a lot of balance where they'll they'll increase something, but give it give it a negative as well, which is just uh, really good to see because I, I've seen a lot of things where they'll just over buff a character with and then give no uh, disadvantages to them. So they so they do more damage. So stuff is faster, and they had everything that they had before. So all they all they do is go straight up. Whereas as long as they give it a good here and a a negative here, it, it kind of keeps them at a nice balanced level, um, but but giving them something that could help them in a match. Now, this is typically a question I kind of ask towards the end, but is there something we want to see from the industry in the future? Is there some way that the that developers can improve uh, on this topic of balance? Something that we see that we want to see more of or something that we haven't seen that we'd like to see implemented? Jared, I'll throw it to you first. Can you think of anything? The balance is, it's tough. Because it's all game theory, and people are still discovering different ways to do it. I'm sure like there could be entire 
thesis, PhD thesis is written about Dota 2 and like, like the balance around it, like it, it, anything like that. So I don't know. I mean, I, I like when developers take into account the things that are happening, things that people are saying to them and, and kind of extrapolate that and don't do exactly what oh, so-and-so is so over OP. So like it must be nerfed. So it's, they think about like, well, why is he, why is he OP? It's like, because well, people aren't using this. Why aren't they using this, this counter pick? Well, because it has too many downsides uh, overall. So I don't know. I think just a discussion around it. And I think data collecting is a big part of it. And it's hard in asymmetrical games too, that we're talking about stuff like Evolve. That's, I don't know. I'm not a game developer. Like, I think this is like one of the one of the hardest com- uh, conversations we've had because there's not a right answer for any of this. Yeah, and there's so many good examples and bad examples, and it can change. Like your favorite game, your favorite competitive game could overnight become unplayable because of one patch that they, they decided to change something, and now everyone d- there's only one meta to to play. So yeah. Now Ryan, how about you? What do you want to see in the future of uh, a game design in in regards to video game balance? Uh, in the future, um. I might want to see more more of what I've been seeing in the past. And this is just the past couple of years is that um, developers are starting to, when it comes to com- competitive wise, they're actually bringing on uh, new members to the team from the competitive scene. So uh, people go from competitors to um, balance, uh, game balance. That's a really good point. I hadn't uh, thought of that. Yeah, uh, because I actually have a lot of good friends that are now game testers at NetherRealm Studios, they they balanced Injustice too. Uh, real good friends of mine that were incredible players back in the day. And what, they, what they've done to even balance that is they not only bring in the best, but they also bring in kind of in a sense the brightest. They also bring in guys that aren't the best players, but they find out the most stuff about the game. Like, like the guys that put out the YouTube videos that are 20 minutes long displaying the most ridiculous stuff I've ever seen in my life. Um, they bring in those guys as well to try to find to, to try to find as much as possible and to try to give their input and as on top of that as well as the best players. So they 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 kind of trying to find a balance of input from the competitive scene as well. I know it's kind of hard when there's money on the line, but I would also like to see developers not put everything out there. Like I know there's an example, and I can't think of what the game is right now, where they will make balance changes and then not put everything in the patch notes. And I think that's a lot of fun because then you get the community talking about like, well, what is, what's different now? And like, what? oh, yeah. I just discovered this new strategy. I don't know if that happened because of the patch or what, but it, it keeps people guessing. It allows for a little bit of mystery and uh, it kind of it kind of freshens the game up a little bit, like right when it came out and people were still discovering these types of things. I actually see this, see this a lot when a game will put out patch notes and people will still find changes that aren't on those notes. And we, we actually call those... Uh, if they're nerfs, we or we call them silent changes uh, because they were never discussed or never shown. But there were changes, you know, from from patch to patch that aren't exactly in the notes, and that's it, and you know, people don't necessarily get mad, but they're they do developers do do that. Well, they'll change something and not put it in the notes. What is the general feeling about that in the in in your world in the industry that you work in? I hated it <laughs> because it because it's. I've I've had one happen. This is back when I was a competitor. I was playing for money, and they they did a change on my character, and they actually took a, took away something from them that wasn't in the patch notes. And I was like, "Oh come on! <laughs> At least tell me!" Because I found out in the middle of a tournament that something that worked before doesn't work anymore. Mm. 
And I was like, oh, man. But and I wasn't too mad after the fact. I was just like, not not going into that exact match. I didn't know that. And so, uh, yeah, that's just that's just one one example of that. Yeah, it gets weird when when there's money on the line and people are doing this kind of thing professionally. Yeah, I know sometimes in like in tournaments they'll sort of patch lock it. They'll say we're you know we're only using up to this patch to for for some games. I don't know about in in injustice, but I know in like I yeah. think in Overwatch they they do like patch lock versions of the game. I think that's probably important to keeping it like a legitimate sport or esport. Yeah. Now you guys are both kind of touching on something I think you know, it is good for developers to keep in mind. And maybe my one thing that I would like to see in the future is just considered changes, making sure that you're, you're considering what you want your game to do and how you want it to feel, um, is, is critical to the success of a game and true balance might not necessarily be, you know, the, the, the perfect thing for every single game. I I think that if a developer really thinks about those things, like how they want their game to feel, what they want it to look like, that that will help guide the decisions that they make. And it won't necessarily always be reactionary. It won't be like, oh, the the audience says that this gun is overpowered. We need to nerf it or that this character is overpowered. We need to to drop that down. Um, but like you were saying, Jared, with that sniper rifle coming up with creative ways to make a make something viable again those those are the kinds of decisions that i that i enjoy seeing or i also fresh and keeps it fun i also see jeff from over at blizzard he'll do these like developer update videos where he'll just straight up say like no we're not going to change that you guys you know there was um the sombra character for a long time people were saying that she's underpowered and he said like no you guys just aren't playing her correctly we're not going to quote unquote fix her until you guys have explored all the the methods of playing her uh, and until that point, you know, she's going to stay the same. And I think that's that's a powerful tool. Also, just saying like, no, we're not going to we're not going to rebalance this character. Well, I think that pretty much covers everything in our discussion about balance. So let's move on to our feedback. If you have any questions or comments about game balance or any of our previous topics, you can always email us at podcast at gbfeature.com or connect with us at gbfeature on Twitter. Also, if you have any ideas for future topics, send those along. Uh, we're always taking new ideas to add to my big ass master list of ideas to talk about. Uh, Jared, take it away. What do we got? Sure. Yeah. Our first feedback comes from Josh F on Facebook. He says, uh, great episode guys. Uh, I think, which one is he talking about here? He's talking about, uh, oh, he's talking about the, our episode with, with, uh, Mary Kish, um, episode nine. Uh, he says, great episode. Your conversation of the impending robot takeover was hilarious. I try not to go through self checkout lines to do my part in prolonging the inevitable. What modern gaming genre do you guys think procedural generation could enhance? For instance, a big part of first-person shooters is knowledge of the maps and spawn points. Do you think it would be interesting to have a unique procedurally generated map each match? Or does that take too much away from the genre's key elements? So I thought that was a, a, that's a really interesting point. A lot of people, uh, I was listening to a podcast earlier, and they were talking about Splatoon. And it's like they, they like the way that Splatoon's maps are kind of uh, small and they rotate on basically a, a global timer so you have time to play those maps and learn them and uh, you don't feel as, as disadvantaged if you know you're not the guy who's playing the one call of duty map for 30 hours every week and, and learning every nook and cranny yeah uh, a first person shooter that had procedurally generated elements like that i think would be interesting but like super hard to balance See, I think this is actually a really interesting point that he brings up because 
the idea of procedurally generating a map for each match of a first-person shooter dramatically changes the way that people play first-person shooters. I think that, like you mentioned, a big part of those those games is typically knowledge of the map, knowing the different routes through the map, knowing where people spawn, those kinds of things. Uh, and there's sort of this like macro strategy that you have whenever you play a typical first-person shooter. I think that by having it be a randomly generated map each match, I don't think it necessarily destroys what makes that genre special. I think it changes it. It shifts it from those like overall strategies to being more about tactics instead of strategy, more about improvisation and and um, and coming up with things on the fly rather than um, than having these sort of preconceived notions about what this map is going to be like. There, there must be an example of this. Someone must have done something similar to this, but I can't think of it, anything off the top of my head. Well, I, I have a similar thing I guess I can bring up here, which is something we didn't really get into in that episode about procedural generation, but I watch a lot of speedruns. Summer Games Done Quick was whatever, like a month and a half ago, and uh, I think everyone should go check out those runs because some of them are pretty amazing. But those runs are, they're cool because it's someone who's like learned the game. They've learned, you know, essentially every element of how to get through this, this game as quickly as possible. So in like a game like Resident Evil or a game like Doom, there's like one fastest route that the community has found to get through that game. And it's the same all the time. But there's not really too many people who speed run things like The Binding of Isaac or Spelunky. Because uh, I think they're a little bit less interesting to watch. Because in those cases, with the worlds being randomly generated, there's certain things that you can do like moment to moment that are about being the fastest you know, possible fastest player to get through those situations but really in like in binding of isaac you're just hoping to get to get the shovel once you get the shovel now you're on a speed run now you're just skipping well <laughs> you're skipping entire levels as you're playing that game so it's not exactly the same thing as we're sort of talking about with first person shooters but i do think that it, it it changes these you know elements in sort of similar ways in that it's it's more about your moment to moment skill more about your your improvisation and recognition recognizing of the situation that you're in than it is about just memorizing strategies. I don't think it would be a good or bad thing. Like you said, it would just attract a different type of player. But we also, in that same episode, we're talking about AI-created levels, like procedurally generated level levels and procedurally generated stories. And uh, Chester Copperpot on Facebook, he wrote in, uh, level creation is an art form. Setting is really important to storytelling. Maybe I'm in the minority, but I say keep the level designers employed. And I, I that kind of resonates with me a little bit. Like I, I really appreciate a handcrafted story and a handcrafted environment where thought went into every little detail. Like world building for me is huge with storytelling and games. And uh, I, I tend to agree with him on this one. Yeah, I'm playing. Uh, I'm playing Bloodborne right now, which is, I mean, beautiful because they obviously they spend a lot of time really designing what that world looks like and feels like, and and how that uh, design impacts gameplay. Like where you choose to have engagements is important in that game. But I think that inevitably you won't be able to distinguish, uh, you know, a, a human created level from an AI created level. And this is one of those things that I think is unfortunately probably inevitable in that. Um, I mean, in, until until I can't see the seams in a 
procedurally generated world and i can't i can't tell that this house was put here because the computer decided to use that tile set there then i don't think that it's i think we're a long way away from that oh yeah i don't like think we're, i don't think we're anywhere close scene, to it i mean I, in bloodborne they have uh procedurally generated dungeons that you can do they're sort of like it's like the dlc wasn't it no it's not no it's not part of the dlc but it yeah. it's sort of the um the pseudo end game content for that game are these dungeons that get randomly rolled uh, and they're horrible. I mean, they're they're just fucking awful because you can see those seams and it's like, I'll walk into a room and I'm like, oh God, this fucking room again. I've seen this a million times before. I don't want to be here. I know yeah. that this room takes forever to get through and it, I don't know. It's just, it's not fun in that game because they haven't hit that point yet where, you know, where the AI is indistinguishable, indistinguishable from the, uh, the human world building. I, I agree completely. I, I don't think that we're anywhere near it. Uh, but I tell you, for the time being, I really do enjoy um, something that's that's handmade. I mean, I can't tell you how many hours I've spent in Skyrim in a dungeon staring at a river going, damn it, that is beautiful, for hours. Or, or like, or <laughs> I like, like, I want like, to see a person just on their computer staring at water for multiple hours. Yeah, and, Best and, and like, like, like Red Dead Redemption, like when the sun goes down. And I, I'm like on a heist, and I'm running away from the the, the 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 law. I'm getting tracked down, and I stop and go, "Damn it, that's a beautiful sunset." <laughs> and you notice that too, as I like, get tackled from behind. Some of the game elements, uh, like I really yeah. appreciate when I can see, like, wow, it was really awesome the way that the developer put me on this path. They knew if they put, you know, like this this light over here, I would I would naturally yeah. walk towards that, and then that opened up into Praise like a sun. new cinematic view of something. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. They put obviously put a lot of thought into that, and I can appreciate the artistry that goes into behind that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, Dark Souls One was a good example of uh, right, right out of the intro, you 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 get that beautiful sunset there with the infamous words "Praise the sun" below you, mm-hmm. but they they wanted you to see that 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 beauty right out of the gate, and then they throw you into a poisonous swamp. Yeah, and then you get mur- and <laughs> I think like immediately after that you get murdered by a dragon. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, before we get out of here, I want to thank our guest Ryan Cablick. Ryan. Thank you so much for being here, man. This is uh, this has been a joy for me. So where where absolutely you know, where can people keep up with you? Where can they find the work that you're doing? Uh, I am working for a streaming platform called Stream.me. If you guys go to that site, I'm involved in all the uh, competitive esports uh, stuff that we got going on on there. Um, and we actually have a website separate from Stream.me that's just for our um, competitions, which is Gauntlet.gg. So you can check us out there. Uh, you'll you, you'll find me either on or on the back end of, of each one of those programs. Uh, we have a community Discord. Uh, I, I love chatting with everyone that streams on that website. So if you're a streamer and you guys are looking for uh, a, a nice home, uh, streaming is a great place to start. Uh, we got great programs for for small streamers to make good money, and uh, we're we're small building, and that's where you can find me. And also on Twitter at m i s t e r Aquaman, spelled a little differently. And uh, I post a lot of good content on there as well. Excellent. Well, as a reminder, we release new episodes of this podcast every two weeks. Be sure to subscribe so we don't miss anything. If you like what we do and want to help us out, head over to iTunes and give us a review. One more quick housekeeping thing, Steve. November 4th, I'm going to be doing a 24-hour charity stream for Extra Life. If you're not familiar with it, people go online, they play games, and uh, tell their friends and family about it. And um, if if you choose to tune in, and watch like please do i would love the support but uh the main goal is to raise money for a local children's hospital it's a little bit ways off yet and i haven't really i haven't picked which hospital it goes to but i will let everyone know 
via the podcast. Uh, it'll probably be a, a local Los Angeles hospital, but um, I just wanted to kind of put that out there now that I'll be doing a 24-hour stream on November 4th for charity. Very cool, man. Um, have you picked what games you're planning on streaming? No, not yet. I have a huge backlog, so um, I'll probably play some player unknowns, of course. And uh, I don't know. Just I'm not even aware of which games are coming out between now and then. But I have plenty of stuff to catch up on. So uh, I'd love people to just uh, come in and uh, check it out. Now, what's your what's your strategy for staying up for 24 hours straight? Uh, I'm gonna eat a lot of pizza and chug a bunch of coffee. No, I think I'm just gonna get up kind of early in the morning. I've heard a lot of people who've done these before. Um, getting up early and starting it then is is ideal and uh, just kind of stay hydrated and eat not a bunch of garbage and try to try to put off my caffeine for as long as possible but I'm not too worried about it and that would be fun maybe I can maybe, maybe between now and then I can talk you in uh, joining my stream team yeah yeah I'd like to obviously I'd like to be involved in some way so uh, maybe set up the old PC and see if uh, I can hop in a game with you or something yeah, for sure. Maybe we can see if there's maybe we can see if there's any of that uh, Super Monday Night community still hanging. Oh, that would be cool if we could organize some of our uh, some some of our listeners if they wanted to get on some Super Monday Night Combat. That'd be fun. <laughs> Are servers even <laughs> up for that still? I don't even know. I don't. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, more yeah. details as, as, as we get closer get, to it for sure. Yeah, yeah. As we get closer, uh, if we could get you know listeners involved, I think that'd be great. Cool. Yeah, and then. Uh, I guess I didn't mention it, but it'll probably be on Twitch, and I will tweet out links to that once I know all the details. Very cool. I want to thank Kyle Clark for making our theme song. You can check out his podcast, This Is Rad, on iTunes. And lastly, I want to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to us chat about video games. This has been Game Breaking Feature. Remember, it's okay to disagree. Just don't be a dick about it. Wait, wait, we have a couple of seconds left. Uh, Ryan, real quick, when you play with the controller, inverted Y-axis or no? No. Oh, man. Oh, my gosh. We're batting zero, Jared. All right, guys. Oh. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for talking. Yeah, thank you, guys. I'll catch you next time.